This morning, we want to uh, dive into the Word of God, and our text is going to be taken from 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. So if you would grab your Bible, uh, worship service at home is going to be no different than in church. Take notes, listen attentively, pray uh, that you will receive something out of it, and I trust that if you've done that, that God will bless you as you listen to these words. Uh, the message we're, we're going to be speaking on and the topic we're going to be speaking on this morning is mangled feet at mercy's table. Mangled feet at mercy's table. Anytime there is a conflict, anytime that there is a hardship, anytime that we are confronted with trials or temptations, the best thing, and the best subject that we can approach upon is the, is the subject and the topic of sovereign and supreme grace. To listen to the, the grace that we have in Christ and to listen to what God has done for us and in us is something that without fail will soothe a weary and conflicted soul. It is the message that Christ has not left us, but that he humbled himself and he became a servant and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself even to the death of the cross for those that were beneath him, those that were his creations, those that were his enemies. It uplifts our spirits and reminds us that we have a God that is not against us, but a God that intimately loves us and is for us. And so that is the message that has been laid upon my heart this morning. And we're going to be looking at an instance in Scripture that is probably one of the greatest pictures of sovereign grace that we have in the Old Testament. This week there in our Bible study, our home Bible study, me and, and, and uh, our family read through this story and, and it brought back so many uh, good things and so such rich things that are found in this passage. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through this passage and we're going to look at certain things in this passage uh, and, and then we're going to go back and we're going to see how it relates to our salvation. So in 2 Samuel chapter 9 in verse 1, I want to deal primarily here in verse 1 with David's desire. He says, and David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may shew him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David was a man after God's own heart. He was a godly man. He was a godlike man. In other words, he had the characteristics of a well-saved man. He was a man that emulated who God was. He, he was a man that was compassionate. He was a man that was full of mercy in spite of all of Saul's dealings with him. In spite of Saul seeking his life time and time again, when David had ample opportunity on two separate occasions, God, uh, David extended mercy. David was a merciful man. David was a mighty man. Uh, there are so many good characteristics and comparisons between God and David. Uh, this is what we would call a type, or he was a type of Christ, a type of, uh, of God. And it said that David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? Saul was David's enemy. 
Saul was the one that sought David's life continually for uh, many, many years. David had to uh, hide in caves and in foreign cities outside of the nation of Israel among the enemies of, of the people that were his kindred. David uh, had to suffer in isolation. He had to watch his every step because Saul was David's enemy continually. David, uh, Saul continually sought David's life because he was a jealous man. He was envious of what God had done through him. And so uh, David is looking now into the house of Saul. I want you to think of that. David is looking into the house of his enemy that he might shew kindness unto them. That is so non-typical of humanity. When man has an enemy, usually he desires uh, their hurt. And not only their hurt, but all those that are connected with them. If somebody's done you wrong, typically it is man's sinful inclination to want to see them suffer. And not only that, all those that support them to suffer, their friends, their family, anybody that uh, would have any connection to them is our sinful inclination to to want them to suffer. But David says, I want to look into the house of mine enemy and to find someone there that I can shew kindness for. But not just for any reason, but he says that I may shew them kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, Jonathan was the son of Saul. Uh, David, after he had come off the battlefield with, uh, from defeating Goliath, uh, we know there that, that God had wrought a mighty victory through David. And, um, and after he comes off the battlefield, Jonathan is there, and, and, and instantly there's, there's a connection made. And so David desires to do good unto the house of Saul, his enemy, not just for any reason, but for the reason of a special connection between David and Jonathan. So the reason for the kindness, the reason for the mercy, and the word kindness there means mercy or to do good to. So the reason that David desires to do good to or to be merciful is because of the sake of another. And we find that sake of another in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, and verse uh, 1 through 4, and it says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit, and that's very important, knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him, uh, him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garment, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. So we find there that, that there is a love relationship between Jonathan and David. This is a friendship. And much more important than that, there is a unity here. Did you notice that it said that Jonathan's soul was knit unto David. That means that there was a mutual love, there was a mutual affection, that there was a mutual uh, understanding between these two parties that they were unified together in an unbroken chain. Their relationship was so strong uh, that even when uh, Saul was pursuing David, Jonathan was still David's 
uh, friend continually. That's that's the unity that they had. There was there was nothing that could break this friendship. These type of friendships are rare, and and all oh, that we would have more godly friendships like these that that uh, we're not just concerned about what we get out of it, but that we would be like Jonathan, that we are concer- solely concerned about our friends. So John, David wants to do good to the house of his enemy for the sake of Jonathan and for the love and the unity that he has for Jonathan. But not just for the unity and, and the love that he has uh, for Jonathan, but also for the result of that love and the motions for which that love worked. We find in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, and beginning in verse 12, it says, And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time and the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and, and I send not unto thee, and shew it thee. And the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do the evil, then I will shew it thee, and send uh, thee away, that thou mayest go in peace. And the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only while yet I live shew me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. So we find there that that Jonathan made David promise. He said, you swear unto me that those my children that come after me, that after all of God has worked his will in in Saul's house and, and, and has conquered all the enemies of David, that you will not take away your kindness from my from my lineage from my family, from my posterity. So David's desire arises out of first a love for Jonathan, for the unity that he has with Jonathan, and for the covenant that he's made with Jonathan. So that's very important for us to to recognize before we get in to this story. And there was, verse 2 of our text, and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may shew the kindness of God unto him? The, the, God, the, the kindness that comes from God. There we have the characteristic of God again. And Ziba said unto the king, uh, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Now stop there. I want to deal with the man and the condition of the man that that David desires to fulfill the covenant. Now, another point I want to make is the fulfillment of the covenant that that David had made with Jonathan was not based upon the posterity or any action or condition or qualification in 
the posterity. If that was the case, Jonathan posterity would be doomed. And we're going to find out why, because there was a malady, there was an affliction in Jonathan's uh, lineage. So if there was a condition that was to be performed for the fulfillment of this, co- uh, this covenant to take effect, Jonathan's posterity would not be in a good position. Uh, they, they would, they would uh, fail to meet those qualifications. And here's why. We find the man, the man whose name is Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son. Uh, he was born uh, during the time of Jonathan and David's friendship in, in the house of the kingdom. And we, we find a particular uh, story of this. If you go back uh, in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 4, we find the condition uh, that came upon Saul's son and how that happened. So it says in verse 4 of chapter 4, And Saul, Jonathan Saul's son had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. So uh, Mephibosheth was five years old when the news came that Jonathan and Saul had been slain, when they had been killed. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. So as they're running out of this out of this house because of fear, you know, uh, Saul and Jonathan has now been killed. The boy's father is dead. And of course he was killed by their enemies. And so uh, there's this great fear that the enemy is going to come in and is going to take over and is going to wipe them out. So the nurse does what she thinks is best. She's taken in a very rushed manner. She runs out of the house And as she's running out, somehow, maybe she fell on top of him, but he fell and either his hip was broken, his back was broken, his legs were broken, but something broke in this this young man's body that prevented him, and as he grew, prevented him from being able to walk on his own. If he was to go anywhere, if he was to do anything, he needed assistance. He needed someone else to do it for him. He is a man that is in a very pitiful condition. He is lame on both his feet. He is any he is incapable of any benefit of any goodness. He's no warrior so he he can't do he can't do uh David any good. He cannot he can't be a warrior in his army. Uh he can't uh labor in his field so there's no goodness that uh Mephibosheth can can add to David. There's no benefit to David of taking Mephibosheth into his presence. I want you to understand that. Uh, so he's, he's, he's lame. He can't do anything. And not only that, I want you to pay special attention to where he's at. I don't think that God uh, uh, allows these things and, and records these things simply uh, to fill up space on a page. I believe that God uh, makes us aware of these things because of the significance that he's placed in his word. He says that, behold, this Mephibosheth is living in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in the land of Lodabar, in the city of Lodabar. 
The name maker, the house that he resides in, the name maker means the sold one, the slave, uh, the one of slavery. So uh, the, the, this man, Mephibosheth, is living. He is residing in the house of the sold one, in the house of slavery. And the land, uh, the city Lodabar, uh, means uh, pastureless. It means pastureless. So he's, he's living in the house of slavery in the city of no pasture. Now, you know that the, the, uh, the nation of Israel were herdsmen and that they had sheep. And to live in a city of no pasture, of no substance, is a very pitiful place, is a very desolate place to live. So this man that is lame, that has no benefit, is living in the house of slavery, in the land of no pasture. That's a pitiful place to, to live. Verse 5, it says, Then David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. So David goes on a mission of mercy. David uh, dispatches his servants on a mission of mercy. He knows the condition of this man. He knows where this man is at. He knows that this man is an enemy. He comes from the family of uh, his enemy. He knows that he can add him no benefit. And, and he knows that if he was to offer an invitation to old Mephibosheth, if he was to say, you, you do this and I'll fulfill the oath that I made uh, to your father. If you go out and, and conquer 200 of the Philistines, well, I'll, I'll make good on my word. Or if he simply sent an invitation, he says, if you come of your own accord, if you walk the, the, the distance from Makir, from Lodabar, to, to my palace, well, then I'll fulfill the covenant uh, that, I, that, I, that I made to your father. Uh, well, if that was the case, if he was to ask him to make some requirement or to fulfill something, well, Mephibosheth simply couldn't do it. If he said, if you simply come of your own accord, well, Mephibosheth couldn't do that. He couldn't make his way from the house of slavery. He couldn't move himself from the house of slavery from a pastureless land and, and come to where David was at. It would be impossible for him. So if, if he's going to come from the house of slavery to the city of peace, the king has to send someone to get him. That's very important for you to understand. The king has to dispatch someone on a mission of mercy. So David goes and fetches him out. He doesn't invite him. He doesn't call him. He doesn't ask him to come. He doesn't ask him to do any great feat, but he simply, in, he simply dispatches someone to go fetch him. That's important. Stick with me. He says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his faith and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy 
father's sake. I will show thee kindness. I'm going to do good to thee because of what the relationship and the unity that me and thy father had and, and because of the covenant that I made with him. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. Notice that he said Saul thy father. Saul was not Mephibosheth's father. Saul was Jonathan's father, but because Mephibosheth was in his lineage, he says uh, he, he is, in a term, his federal head, if you will. He is the paternal head of the family. He is the representative of that lineage. Saul is the representative of that lineage. And he says, I'm going to restore to you all the things that your forefather lost. All that your forefather has destroyed. I'm going to give it all back. I'm going to I'm going to give it all back that he's lost. And he said, "So I'm going to restore all the all the land uh, of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually." Not only am I going to shew thee kindness, not only am I going to give you all that Saul lost. Saul that Saul uh, disinherited you from by, by his actions, if you will. Uh, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to allow you to come into my presence and to eat at my table and to eat all the good things that I partake in. That's important. And look at his response. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? All Mephibosheth realized his condition. He realized that he was of the enemy, the house of the enemy of David. He realized that he did not deserve it and that he could add no benefit. And he viewed himself as a dead, stinking dog. A dog uh, in these times were, were wild beasts. They were not domesticated like this. Uh, they were offensive to the side. The people didn't want them around simply because they just tore up everything. But he doesn't just say just a dog. He says a dead dog, one that would fill the, the place with a, uh, an aroma, a stench uh, that would, would cause everybody to turn away. He says, who am I that you would look on a dead dog, someone that is utterly repulsive as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord, uh, the king hath commanded uh, his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's son. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was uh, Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth, dwelt in Jerusalem, the city of peace, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. I want to make a very quick point. Uh, I, want to, I want to go to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 21. So in addition to him being moved from uh, the house of slavery to the city of peace and eating 
uh, bread at the, the, the king's table continually and lame on both his feet. There came a time in 2 Samuel chapter 21 when all that Saul had incurred, his final judgment was to take place. We have something very special that is recorded. He says in verse 21, then there was a famine in the days of David. Three score years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. So God is calling Saul's lineage. He's calling the role. He's going to make all of Israel suffer uh, until there, there is a, a day of reckoning made for what Saul has done, and he's going to bring all of Saul's posterity into judgment. And so they decide, verse 7 and 8, they decide to bring to the Gibeonites and to deliver into the Gibeonites' hands seven of Saul's posterity to suffer for the crimes that Saul had done. But in verse 7 it says, but the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, because, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Ripha, uh, the daughter of Ai, whom she bare, and all these other men, I'm not going to read them all, and he delivered them to the Gibeonites, and they were hanged on a tree. So when the day of reckoning came, when the day that Saul uh, posterity was, was called to reckon for the crimes that their forefather had, uh, had committed, uh, Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, was spared from this final act of judgment because of the unity and the love that David had with Jonathan and for the covenant that they made. Do you see all the similarities? Is your mind brought this morning to behold Christ in this passage? Do you see how clearly that Christ is made evident in this particular situation between the house of of uh, the house of Mephibosheth and Jonathan and the house of David. First off, David it desires to do good, not for any sake of Mephibosheth, but for the sake of Jonathan. And likewise, God desires to do good unto his people, not because of any goodness in us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of our federal head, Jesus Christ. Because God would do kindness unto us because of Christ's sake. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Ephesians 4 and verse 32. He says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, 
hath forgiven you. Why is God kind to us? Why does God desire to shew kindness unto us? Why does God allow us to sit at his table? I'll tell you why. It is because of Christ's sake. It's not because of any goodness in us. He repeats this in, in 1 John, just in case we didn't get the message in 1 John chapter 2. And I believe it's in verse 12. He says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, for Christ's sake. The reason your sins are forgiven, the reason God does you kindness is for Christ's sake. You're Mephibosheth. And the reason that, that God has done us kindness is because of the unity that he had with Christ before the world began, because of the love that he had for Christ before the world began, and because of the covenant that he made uh, with Christ before the world began. Yes, I'm telling you uh, that God, uh, your salvation is sure because of a covenant made with Christ before the world began, it says in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Who did he make a covenant with before the world began? Christ. He made a promise. He confirmed it by an oath. Before the world began, God the Father promised God the Son by giving him all the children that he was to redeem. We find in John chapter 17, when Christ prays for all those that God the Father hath given him, he speaks of another passage in John where he says, uh, He hath given them me. Of all that the Father hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. When were they given to Christ? They were given to Christ before the world began. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Why are we blessed in heavenly places? Because of we're in Christ, because of Christ on behalf of another. You see? The fulfillment, I, wanna, I want you to understand that the fulfillment of this covenant made to Christ, the only conditions made were, were on behalf of Christ. You see? There were no conditions to be fulfilled by, by our lineage, by, by the lineage of Christ, by us who are in Christ's family. You see, we're adopted sons. And, and for the fulfillment of that, that covenant to take place, there were no conditions placed upon us. Because if there were, dear child of God, I want you to understand that we could not meet any qualifications or any conditions for the fulfillment of that covenant. Why? Because we, like Mephibosheth, are lame. We're incapable of doing anything for ourselves. We're not capable uh, of, uh, of meeting any of that. <clears throat> so next, we realize that, that, that Mephibosheth was a man who was lame on both of his feet, that he lived in the house of Machir in the land of Lodabar. And we, like Mephibosheth, were incapable of doing anything. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sin. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 tells us 
that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness of him. We cannot see God. Jesus tells him, uh, you do not believe my word even because you cannot understand my speech. You cannot see uh, the kingdom of God. A man in his sinful condition can't see, he can't hear, he can't understand, he can do nothing for the benefit of God. He can do nothing for the fulfillment of God. He is totally and absolutely uh, hindered. There's nothing within him that does anything of any goodness. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. We are totally, uh, we are totally, uh, we have so, such a, such a deformity uh, of sin that it, that it hinders everything that would be spiritual. Paul would go to far, as far to say that we are dead, meaning that our spiritual existence, our spiritual life is non-existent. You do not have a spiritual life in order to fulfill these covenants. Next, we see that if Mephibosheth is going to come out of the house of slavery, like we are, we are... We are the slave to sin and we dwell in a place that is pastureless. If we're going to come out of that condition, if we're going to come to the king's house, if we're going to dwell in his courts, something has to happen. We cannot come of our own accord. We cannot come of ourselves. David had to dispatch someone on a mission of mercy. And likewise, likewise, God the Father has to dispatch someone on a mission of mercy in order to bring us out of the house of bondage, out of our sin, out of being bound to sin, out of the place of, of no pasture, of no sustenance, and bring us into the city of peace. You see that? You see that this morning? Uh, and praise be to his name, God has dispatched his, his servant to to our hearts in our deepest needs. We find in uh, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. In verse 4. Titus 3 in verse 4. He says, but after that, Speaking of all the things that we were before this point, but we were, uh, we were foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is the condition of ma a man without God, lost in sin, a slave to sin. But after that, after that moment, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. The kindness that he desired to show toward us for Jonathan's sake. And, and this is the beginning of that kindness toward us for Jonathan's sake, for Christ's sake. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly, why or how? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the fulfillment of this covenant, the bringing to the city of peace, does not come 
by any work that we perform, by any action we perform, but it's simply according to the mercy by which he saved us in the washing of regeneration. Word regeneration there means to be brought to life again, to be rescued and changed from our sinful condition, and to be brought by divine, sovereign, effective, and efficient grace to the house of peace. You see that this morning? Jesus speaking in John chapter 1, speaking of this moment of our new birth. Regeneration is often spoken of as the new birth. Are you born again? That's the time when we are rescued from our sinful condition. He says in verse 13 of chapter 1 of John, he says, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. How are we born? How are we rescued out of our sinful condition? How is Mephibosheth taken from the house of bondage? He's, he's taken there by sovereign grace. Jesus would say in chapter 3, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And how does this happen? How does the new birth happen? Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He's not born of man. He's born in the Spirit of God, who is dispatched by God the Father on a mission of mercy into your heart. Dear child of God, I want you to realize that you are Mephibosheth, and there was a time in your life where when you were dwelling in the house of bondage, God dispatched his spirit, not a gospel preacher, but his spirit to come and take you sovereignly and powerfully from that house to the house of peace. Praise be to God, because if he simply sent a preacher to tell us, hey, if you'll just follow me to the house of peace, well, we couldn't go because we can't walk, <laughs> you see. Dear child of God, we were in that type of a grave condition. We could do nothing. No, he spent, sent the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God takes us from one place and, and puts us in another. He says in Colossians chapter 1, uh, being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We're translated from the house of Machir into the house of Jerusalem. You see, the house of David in Jerusalem. So he fetched him out of this house. Back to our text. We'll continue to go through this. 2 Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> so he fetches him. <clears throat> And then he brings him in, in verse 7. I want you to notice what he does. In verse 7 it says, And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. Once we have been brought out of the house of bondage into the house of his dear son, after all the saving has taken place, after we've already been delivered, now God's going to tell us what he's done. Now God's going to tell us what he's going to do for us, not because of us. So here's where the gospel comes in. Here's where we find that Mephibosheth is delivered from the house of, of slavery, and he's brought in to the house of David. This has already transpired, and at this moment is when David comes to him. 
not before, at this moment is when David comes to him and lets him know all the things that have transpired and will transpire. And David said, I will shew thee kindness for Jonathan, thy servant Jonathan's sake. There comes a time for some of God's people, and, and praise be to God, this is a grace. When, when we're brought out and into this house, that the king comes to us and tells us, I'm going to show you kindness for Jesus' sake. You see, the king comes to us and says, I'm going to show you kindness for Jesus' sake and reveals unto us the covenant of his dear son. And then he says to us, he will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. Yes, we are the, the product of Adam. Adam was our father, and in Adam, we all failed. And in Adam, we lost everything. All the land that was ours, we were driven out of the garden. And, and, and Adam lost everything for us. But God comes to us and says, listen, in Christ, in my house, all these things are going to be restored unto you. You see how beautiful this is? It is almost verbatim what Christ does for us, what God does for us. And he says, I'm going to restore thee all the land that thy, thy forefather lost. Uh, and in addition to this, you're going to eat at my table. You're going to eat at, at, at my table. You're going to feast at my table. You're going to put your feet at my table. I want to, I'll make another point about that in a minute. But I want you to look at Mephibosheth's response to the proclamation of the covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant. When Mephibosheth is told that this covenant is, it has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled, look at his response. His response is, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? That should be our response when we view all, the, all of our sinful condition that we are an enemy by virtue of Saul or Adam to God the Father, David, in this instance, he's a type. When we view that, that we're his enemy, that we are lame, we can do no good for him, it should, it should work in us such a heart of gratitude. It should let us know that we are a dead dog and we don't deserve the least of his mercies. We should repeat with the, with the Apostle Paul that I am less than the least of all saints, that I am the chief of sinners and, and, and I am the last person that uh, this kindness should be showed to, realizing that it's not because of anything in us that, that God has desired to to shew kindness to, but it's for the sake of his only begotten son. And that's the only reason that God is kind to us. It's not for us. It says in, in verse 13, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, the city of peace. Dear child of God, when we're brought out of the house of bondage, the house of slavery. I want you to understand that we're brought to the house of peace, the house of tranquility, 
the city of God. And he says, for he did eat continually at the king's table. That tells me that there is no want of supply at the king's table. That you'll never go hungry at the king's table. That you will always be satisfied when you are sitting at the king's table. And that is every time you come and you listen to the word of God and you feast on all these things, you are sitting at the king's table. You are taking in the manna from heaven. You are, you are being filled with all the dainties of royalty and you're sitting in the presence of the king. That's what church is all about, dear child of God. Every time we assemble for church, we are coming to the master's table. We are coming to the king's table. We are hiding our deformities under his table. We are sitting at his table with him at the head, enjoying all that he provides. See, the king, the meat comes from him, not from us. We don't eat of our own hand. See, God has provided for uh, the servants, uh, which is emblematic of the spirit, to provide through us to those around us. But we, we, you see, uh, Saul's uh, Mephibosheth's son, he ate uh, of all that which came of the land that, that was being sown. But Mephibosheth, he ate at the king's table. So through us, other people can have something to eat. But when it comes to us, we sit at the king's table. And his manna is beautiful. It is sweet. It is tasty. It satisfies every need. And it is continually. There is, there is no place where it runs out. It says, and it ends with this, and he was lame on both his feet. It's a point I want you to make. When you're sitting at the king's table, when you're face feasting in the presence of the king, because of all that Christ has done, your maladies, your affliction, your sinfulness is under the table. You see that, dear child of God? It is out of sight. It is not in direct view of the king nor is it in direct view of you. It has been placed completely out of sight. When you're Only when you're sitting at the king's table, mind you, when you move away from the king's table and you start eating at your own table out of what your hand provides, I'm going to tell you, your malady becomes very apparent. But not when you're at the king's table. When you're at the king's table, it's out of sight. You remember... There came a day when all that Saul has done was called in for a day of reckoning. When the posterity of Saul was made to suffer because of what Saul had done. Dear child of God, there's coming a day when the posterity of Adam is going to be called to suffer for what Adam did. There's going to be a day of reckoning. There's a day coming when God is going to make it right. When all those that, that, that were in Adam are going to be made to suffer for what he did. But dear child of God, here's the good news. 
There was a covenant made between Christ and his father before the world began. And when that day of reckoning comes, when those are called to give an account for all that Adam did, you will ultimately be delivered for Jonathan's sake. Isn't that, such, isn't that so beautiful to see that, that we, if we wanted to, could not deliver ourselves out of that condition to deliver ourselves from that day of reckoning, we're delivered not because of what we've done, not because of what any goodness in us, but because of Jonathan's sake, because of the kindness and the goodness and the love and the unity and the covenant that was with him, dear child of God. That's grace. That's salvation by grace. That's supreme grace. And there's no better theme on heaven or on earth than that message. It's a beautiful message. We were the Mephibosheth in this world. We were lame on our feet. We were taken from the house of bondage by the Spirit of the living God. We were translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. We were made to sit at His table and to eat continually and we are ultimately delivered from all the things our forefathers plunged us in. We're restored all that He lost. Oh, what a blessing, dear child of God. In times like these, when the world seems to be crumbling around us, when it seems like there's so much uncertainty, you can rest on this. It is for certain you sit at the king's table. It is certain that his supply will never run out. It is for certain that you are ultimately delivered. It is for certain that God loves you for the sake of Jonathan. What a beautiful message. This virus is, we don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that like the Hebrew children, that our God is able to deliver us from this virus. He is able to deliver us from this thing, but He will ultimately deliver us from this present evil world and all the things that we have incurred because of it. That is a given. And praise be to His name because of it. It's my prayer that these words this morning have been beneficial to you. It's my prayer that they've been encouraging and uplifting and, and, and that you can refocus away from all that's going on out there and focus on the table you're sitting at and all that you have in Christ because of His covenant. I pray that the Lord will bless you, that He'll keep you. In other words, that He'll put a hedge of protection around each and every one of you, that He'll cause His face to shine upon you and that he'll give you supreme and abundant peace. Thanks for watching. God bless.